Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. And historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the podcast segment of our show that is not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for the 467th show is Dr. Peter Makovicki professor in the Department of Earth and Environmental Sciences at the University of Minnesota, who will be talking with us about dinosaurs in Missouri. Our history buster today's show are Jay Swords and Ed Broders. And I have to ask the good doctor, wouldn't it have been easier, especially in that part of Missouri, to just go to the uh, Noah Ark Museum in Kentucky and find find the bones there 6,000 years ago. I'm just asking that. I mean, you, am that's, I wrong with that? That's terrible. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a fair question. Um, but uh, I, having, having admittedly not been to the Creation Museum, Museum in Kentucky, I'm not sure. I know they have fossils on display. I'm not sure what they are. They're only um, 6,000 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, well, the, that, there's that. My colleague I'm, I'm has been there. Yeah, I've been. The, the crowning achievement is the T-Rex with a Western saddle and a, uh, and okay. a Neanderthal with a lariat. I kid you not. I'm not making that up. Okay. Yeah, it's, it, is, yeah. Uh, it is an interesting perspective. Okay. Ed, the first question's yours. Well, that's a that's a hard story. Yeah, I don't know how you follow that. I had the same feeling. Uh, Peter, is there any way to know about this species of duck-billed dinosaur where it would fit, like on an evolutionary tree? As in, was this the end of the line on one branch, or is there any way to know whether it evolved into something else? Yeah, I mean, it's a unique species, so in, in that sense, it's, you can think of it as a, a leaf or a twig on that tree. Um, but the bigger branch it would sit on would be um, uh, sort of below where most of the duck-billed dinosaurs that you're familiar with would sit. So you're probably familiar with things like um, Corythosaurus that has sort of a helmeted crest or, or right. Parasaurolophus that has that big tube-like things sticking off the back of its head, or even the really big Edmontosaurus from the end of the Cretaceous, the thing, the, the duckbill that lived alongside T-Rex. Um, so all those duckbills are younger in time and represent a more recent uh, radiation or evolutionary uh, grouping of duckbill dinosaurs. Um, and one way to tell them apart is that all those duckbill dinosaurs don't have a thumb. They only have four fingers on their forefoot. They've gotten rid of the thumb. Now, Parasaurus from Missouri has a thumb, but not only does it have a thumb, but it's actually got a big old spike there, um, a good three-inch spike that uh, could have been used either for defense or more likely for, for males jousting each other uh, during you know some kind of um, ritual uh, combat for, for mates. Okay. Uh, Jay. So I'm going to take it the, the opposite direction. Um, how long have, have duckbills been around, uh, you know, that larger branch? Uh, how far back into, say, the Jurassic does, does that species go, or is this really a, a pretty clearly crustaceous sort of, of uh, species? Uh, yeah, so... Uh, 
proper duckbill dinosaurs uh, evolved somewhere near the middle of the Cretaceous or, or the end of the early Cretaceous, so about a hundred million years ago. So this is one of the earliest members of of the duckbill lineage, um, and then they really proliferate in Western North America um, during the last 20 million years or so of, of the Cretaceous. At least that's where we find the most abundant fossils and, and the largest number of species. Um, there's also quite a few from Asia and, and not so many from, from Europe. Um, and interestingly, we don't find as many from the eastern part of North America, so east of where that seaway uh, would have been. Um, and that's basically because we, we lack the rock record. Um, Eastern North America is very stingy with respect to um, rocks deposited during the age of dinosaurs. So any sites like this one in, in, in Missouri are, are really a, a gold mine because uh, we, we just don't have the same insight into what the Mesozoic was like for Eastern North America as we do for, for the Western interior, which is, of course, rich in, in both rocks and dinosaurs. Okay. Um, we have to take a step back because when we were recording, my good friend said that he wanted to be a paleontologist when he was eight years old. So are you the actual guy in our life that wanted to be a paleontologist when you were eight and actually followed through right. to the very end to be one? Or, good for you. Are you the guy that did it, well, like the only one in your world? <laughs> no, I'm not the only one in, in our world. There's quite a few of us. We, we have annual meetings and stuff. <laughs> Right. There's, a, there's a secret handshake. <laughs> it's fun with the, you guys that spikes right. on your thumbs, right? right, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, bottle openers for thumbs. But, um, the uh, no, I, I did. I was one of those kids who was who was gaga about dinosaurs, and and it kind of stuck with me. Uh, I mean, I, I'll say I was I was less uh, at least. Uh, less overtly interested in dinosaurs during my teenage years. I kind of, uh, I had some naive dreams of being a professional hockey player that, uh, <laughs> sure. that far, far outstripped my talent. Uh, so, so that never happened. Um, but I, I, you know, it, I kind of came back to it, uh, in college, um, you know, realized I'd sort of knew, knew more than most about, about paleontology, not just dinosaurs and, and sort of, uh, at some point was like, yeah, I, I think I can make a career out of this. Um, and, and of course, some, some fortuitous, uh, you know, having the right people, uh, as, as advisors helping me on the way. So, so a lot of, you know, a lot of lucky breaks, uh, certainly involved, but yeah, I, I kind of stuck with it more or less since childhood. Yeah. Hey, that's, that is great. Ed, you got a question? Yeah. Um, Peter, what's the status of this site today? Um, as in how big is it? And, um, are you still digging down? Uh, yeah. So, uh, so this is a good question. So, uh, currently, um, the site is, probably uh about 20 feet uh by 30 feet um it is a pit it's a, it's an actual bona fide pit um so uh it's it's covered by a greenhouse otherwise it'll fill with water uh remember the chronisters were digging a cistern uh for that purpose 
Um, and so, so we've got a, a greenhouse that's been installed over it to, excuse me, keep the rainwater out. And, um, but uh, we started digging there in 2017 and, and you know, have, have been going back, uh, not quite every year because of COVID and so on, but um, doing a bit of work. So at this point, we, we have actually had to expand um, the area for digging. So that involved um, bringing in some heavy equipment, an excavator, and actually um, moving back the hill that's the all the sediment on top of the clay that we're interested in. So, um, so we had to make ourselves a little bit more of a runway to, to dig into. So um, it's, it's slow going, um, not just because of, of the removal of the dirt, but because the bones are, are so densely packed in there. there. There's so much bone in there that, that actually working around it becomes a bit of a jigsaw puzzle. So one year we, you know, we came down and, and, and we're there for a little over a week, and all we did was remove three turtles that were kind of in front of the dinosaur, blocking it so that we could actually get around the dinosaur. So in order to create that plaster jacket around the dinosaur, um, we had to get these turtles out of the way. So so the bones are really packed in there, so so it can be very slow going. So how deep, so how deep is it? Um, the pit is about, uh, six to seven feet deep at its, at its deepest point, uh, relative to the, you know, the, the ground outside. Okay. So not too deep. Okay. Uh, question you were talking about in all sincerity, how you became a paleontologist and you had previous advisors that, uh, helped you, uh, take on this, uh, course for a career. What other, um, have you worked on other digs? Uh, before this one, uh, to give you kind of to you know cut your teeth to to know how to go about this. Uh, yes, I, I've I've um, I've been uh, I've dug uh, pretty much all over the world. Uh, I, I worked in China, South America, Antarctica. So, but this site is unique. Uh, I will say that I have never dug in in sort of a, a soft clay like this before. It's always been been rock so i've been i'm very used to using either rock saws or or um or uh jackhammers you know i've done that in antarctica and in canada and in the western u.s and in argentina and so forth but i've never before actually had had to go to michael's and buy some little clay pottery tools (laughs) (laughs) so when you write that on your budget for the u of m you have to give them the receipt for that right Yeah, that's right. Jay. All right. um, So I'm interested in sort of the final destination for your bones. Um, Most of us interact with dinosaurs in uh, museums where very often what you have is is some sort of a – a casting of of the bones and so the original bones aren't out there you're looking at something that's been made um you know from those so where will these bones end up will they end up in a museum somewhere will they end up uh in in um the you know the 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 university of of uh, minnesota uh, how how what sort of the final resting place for these? Are you trying to get them on an ark across the river or what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, uh, they 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 do have museum homes. Um, 
So the bulk of the material that uh, I was responsible for collecting is at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. Um, Sweet. Which is actually, that's where I used to work uh, until a couple of years ago. Uh, so when I started the project, I was uh, connected there. Um, and and so it's, it's critical to understand that uh, as part of this publication process that I talked about earlier during the radio segment, um, the... Uh, when, when you're describing a new species, um, at least the initial specimen, the, what we call the holotype, the one that the, the, the species name is tied to, has to be in a publicly accessible collection. So that means a museum like the Field Museum or the Smithsonian um, in, in, in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, technically, most journals will not publish on privately owned specimens. Um, and so, so the material that um, I've been collecting, or my teams have been collecting, will, will be at the Field Museum, um, where it's available for study. Um, hopefully, over time, uh, it can become worked uh, into some kind of an exhibit. Um, some of the bones are extremely well preserved, and some of them, I have to say, are not because. Uh, they are in a plastic clay, and that clay has moved and buckled over over the millions of years. And so, some parts are pristine, and some parts are, are especially thinner, flatter bones tend to be very crushed and crumbled. Okay. Um, so, but that that remains to be what can be done in terms of an exhibit. That remains to be determined. But I think um, just because this is such a unique site for you know, essentially the middle part of the country, I think there'll, there'll be some interest in, in doing something with it. Um, now, one thing to remember with these big museums is that what you're, what you're seeing as you walk through is, is it's usually the best stuff, and sometimes it is the real bones. So if you go to the Field Museum and, and you see the T-Rex suit, that is the actual bone. Um, but uh, over 90% of the material is is off-site in, in, in storage in, in various, uh, you know, cataloged um, bins and drawers, um, mainly for research purposes. We would like to thank our noted guest for the 467th show, Dr. Peter Makovicki, Professor, Department of Earth and Environmental Sciences at the University of Minnesota, who talked to us about dinosaurs in Missouri. The history buffs for today's show were Jay Swords and Ed Broders. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 and 106.1 FM in the Quad City regions at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALA HD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. This is ROI recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.